our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm Rose Kilior, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We're back. We took a bi-week pause, so hopefully you guys had a nice and relaxing break. But we're back to preview USC-Notre Dame, a historic rivalry between the two. So we're, we're all going to South Bend, so that should be fun. Yes. So we'll be all there covering it. Also, if you're watching live right now, you're a true Tunnel Vision homie. I'm... Dub dubbing you that because there's so much happening right now sports wise so thank you for watching but we got a lot to talk about today like i said previewing the game we're gonna talk about some specifics will we see ishmael sopsher play for the first time as a trojan we talked to him and defensive coordinator todd orlando this week so we'll talk about that also there's another guy on the defense that's returning from injury that could be a game changer both craig nivar and todd orlando talked about him yesterday so we'll get into that as well and what are the Trojans like coming off of their bye week? I know, Ryan, you talked to Dante Williams uh, this week uh, in his Thursday press conference talking about what did he do? You know, he, he finally got a break as yeah. an interim head coach, get, get, catch his breath a little bit. I know he was on the recruiting trail, but he got to catch his breath a little bit. What did he learn? What did he take away? So we'll get into that as well. As always, you can call us 5124-TUNNEL. Our intern, Micah, is standing by to screen your calls. We love hearing from you guys. And also, wherever you're watching, Facebook, YouTube, or Periscope, or Twitter Live, put your comments, questions, or concerns. I'll try to answer them as best as we can. Also, if you want to get your tweet up on the screen, put hashtag TunnelVision. That's all you need. You don't need our handles. And I'll put your tweet up on the screen. But guys, like I said, it's a packed show today. It's rivalry week, which is crazy. But it's it's here. USC Notre Dame. Ryan, what are your initial thoughts about this matchup? Yeah, it's crazy. I just did a Harvey Hyde radio show, like talking about an hour about this for like right up until this point. And you kind of get, you start thinking about it and how important this game could be for USC, you know, after the the firing, after the Stanford game, there was some momentum built. Everyone's like, oh, great, the, you know, the future's coming. And then you start getting blown out at home by teams like Oregon State and, and Utah, and the fan base sort of just like, oh, okay, well, don't really care about the season now until whoever gets named the next head coach. But to me, this is a key game because you're going to go on the road. USC hasn't lost on the road, even though they haven't played very good opponents. It's a rivalry game. This, to me, is a game that you can get fans bought in again. And you can get people excited. And not just for the end of the season because you get blown out on this one. It's like a couple blowouts in a row. It's going to be hard to get a lot of people in the Coliseum for the Arizona game. They haven't won a game in over two years. But I feel like you play well against Notre Dame. You can build some momentum and get people to come out to the Coliseum because there's going to be some fun games. You, you know, UCLA, BYU. 
um, you'll get some excitement going again, even for the coaching search, you know, and maybe even for recruiting as well. So to me, you know, you had the halfway point of the season. There's been some terrible games at home. You go on the road and get a good win against Notre Dame. I think the players start feeling better about themselves, the coaches, the fans. There's a great opportunity for this team to finish strong towards the end of the season. And maybe the bye week was the perfect opportunity to just kind of like, you know, take do the ohm, you do a little like yoga pose or something, relax, child pose, relax, and then just sort of go in gangbusters. And you're playing with house money in this game. Like no one, you know, you're a touchdown underdog, the underdog for the first time this season. So I feel like this really important game, and I'm getting kind of excited to go out there and cover it. I know it's going to be cold, but uh, it should be fun to go cover this one. Someone told me yesterday, they're like, how would you not bet this and bet for Notre Dame? Like, this yeah. is easy money. And I'm like, eh, it's a rivalry it's game. It's not easy money. It, you know, six and a half with the way USC has played in their last three home games. Yeah, it would be easy money. Right. But Notre Dame's not that good. They're five and one, but they're not that good. Three wins by if three points. you watch them play, yeah. you're just like, this is not the same team no. that you saw the last couple of years that are making the college football playoffs. They playoff. could easily be three and three. Yeah. Like, yeah. See, what's weird, though, is that USC's defensive coaches yesterday kept saying, hey, we don't look at stats. We're looking at the, the athleticism of the players, and they could do some damage. So I think they were trying to – maybe it's a, to get in their players' heads. They were like, hold on a minute. Like, the skill players still went to the CFP, so pump the brakes a little bit on that. Yeah, that's what every co opposing coach says about to their team about USC, too. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! We don't look at their stats, and that they're three and three. They're super athletic; like, they could be uh, dangerous. Drake London, look at him! Like, yeah, okay. and there's good players, and there's some really good players on Notre Dame. You know, Kyle Hamilton is a freak. Yeah, um, and you know, a six three, six four safety that moves like a five ten safety. Uh, so he's he it, might be the best safety at Notre Dame they've ever had. Like, he's literally that good. I mean, he's going to be a top five pick. I think yeah. he's just he's you know just a, a genetic freak. Um, so he, if you're watching the game. You know, you're watching USC and you get upset with USC if they're not performing really well. Just watch him on a couple <laughs> plays and see what he does. You know, he's he's a treat to watch. Um, but yeah, they've got some some talent, but they also have some holes. You know, they've been so good on the offensive line for the last what decade or so, yeah. um, half decade at least, with the number of first round picks they put out with Quentin Nelson and McGlinchey being side by side at one point. They're not that team no. right now. And, you know, USC has struggled against the run, so it's going to be a really intriguing matchup to me seeing how does USC's front seven, front six, handle the front of Notre Dame, you know, and, and them trying to run the ball downhill because they haven't been able to do that very well. They've got a great running back in Kyron Williams. He'll eventually be drafted, I, I think. But they haven't run the ball well because yeah. their offensive line has not been consistent. So we'll see how they do uh, in, in this one and, and see what you know kind of shows up in this game. Because it's it's kind of a battle of the deficiencies, you know, where they're yeah. struggling on, yeah. on the offensive line. USC has struggled against the run. Could be a really unique battle there. Um, and whoever kind of comes out with that one, I think, you know, could have a leg up in this game. Mm -hmm. Now, someone who could help with USC's run defense is Ismail, Ismail Sopcher. He's the transfer from Alabama. Now, he's still young. He's only played in one game in his career. But all the defensive coaches keep saying that just his body type alone to, to plug up some holes would be nice for USC. We've seen him get some more reps. Um, I asked him, do you expect to make the trip to Notre Dame? And he was kind of like, not sure about that. You'll have to ask Coach Williams. Yeah. Now, Dante Williams is much more coy about injuries. Uh, but I think Todd Orlando made it sound like it's not a question of if, but how many snaps he will play in South Bend. Shotgun, what does he provide to the defense if he is healthy? Well, I asked Dante Williams that. I asked uh, Tarlando, I believe, last week or maybe Vic Soto, one of them. But the, the big thing is he's huge, for one. He's you know a, a plus 300-pounder where they've been playing a 270-pound nose tackle with Stanley Taufu, who's a 
you know, converted linebacker from high school. So just girth is one thing, but also he's super athletic. Yeah. And, that, and that's the big thing. And, you know, someone, uh, Mark actually asked, he said, how about seeing Max Gibbs and Sopcher side by side? I don't think they'll do that. But maybe like in a goal line package or something, you might see yeah. that. We've seen Gibbs come in and play a little bit the last couple games down there. So just giving you that extra, you know, that stoutness. And, and I point out one play uh, in our film study series that I think Keely will have up tomorrow uh, from the Utah game where Stanley Taufu gets a two or three yard push. He doesn't come close to making the play, but he, it opens up such a big hole that Raymond Scott makes a tackle for loss. And that's what they've been missing, you know, just being the create to be able to create for other players. Yeah. You know, that's what you're looking for from a from a big nose tackle. Not for them to go and have ten sacks or to make a ton of tackles for loss. That's pretty rare. You know, the the defense tackle from Georgia who's you know running nineteen miles an hour while being three hundred and forty pounds or whatever, that that's a rarity. <laughs> but you want that person to either one, occupy two blockers. Hey, we need to get you we gotta get the guard and the center to try to move this guy out of the way. And that just leaves other guys with one-on-one matchups, or two, create some penetration when they do get one-on-one matchups, and it just it changes the look of the offense because now you're staggered across the line, or you're in the backfield as an entire defensive line versus you're either at the line of scrimmage or being pushed back two yards from the line of scrimmage, and hey, you're getting those those two yards plus whatever the running back can get, and plus whatever when USC doesn't make that tackle, the first tackle, the first time. And the fact that you saw Max Gibbs in there getting run, that just shows you they need a guy like Softshore to come in there and play. Like he's he's you know actually only played in one game. You don't want two him games, to be like games. or two games. You don't want him to be like the savior or whatever. Yeah. But it's sort of where USC is right now. You know, not not having Brandon Peely, not having Jay Toya. I mean, you're just putting a guy like Max Gibbs because he's big. Now, this is a guy that can actually play the position. He's done it before. Not that, you know, Gibbs just was moving over. They were just putting him there because he, they moved him over from the offensive line. But I think it would be a big boost uh, for this defense if they're able to to get him in there and take advantage. You know, they, they're, I think the Notre Dame interior line is pretty good. They're, the tackles are where they've struggled a lot more. I think they've had four different left tackles. So it could be Corey Foreman, Drake Jackson, maybe they have some big games, but having softer in the middle is going to help all those guys. Well, yeah. if you if you have to have that guard help out with a with a nose tackle, and instead of just being a one on one matchup, now the guard can you know can go help out with the tackle, and the tackle can set a little bit deeper. It just changes what you can do, um, you know. And USC is going to blitz a lot of the times, so if you can then you know if you're blitzing someone, the guard now can't help out the tackle, and or the guard is working uh, on that nose tackle. It just changes that one-on-one dynamic that the that Corey Foreman or Drake Jackson will get, and you know those one-on-one matchups are big when you're not getting chipped and you're not getting the running back being there. Uh, those are the opportunities when Drake Jackson has been getting some pressures and stuff, and that's one of the things when USC has created pressure, their defense has been good. Yeah, their secondary has been good. When they haven't created pressure, you're putting those guys on an island for a long time. You're struggling to you know to get any tackles for loss. You're struggling to make plays in the backfield. Suddenly it's Instead of being, you know, if you make a tackle behind the line of scrimmage, you know, second and 12 is a lot different than second and eight or second and six. And, you know, the play calling that goes along with that. So uh, I think it could be a big boost to them to have a true nose tackle out there. And how much could Sopcher play? That that seems to be a question. You know, like Tarlando said that, you know, it's a question of not if he's going to play really, but how many snaps he can play. And, you know, just having him for a few will be good. But if you can get 25 or 30 out of him, you know, that completely is changing the defense there. But just because it's such a different type of body 
uh, different body type than what they've had so far this season. Mm -hmm. Another guy who could potentially boost USC's defense and also is coming back from injury is safety Chris Thompson Jr. That's a guy who kind of flew under the radar, but both Craig Nivar and Todd Orlando highlighted him yesterday in their press availability because they said, you know, he's kind of a tweener body. He can do things that other safeties can't. Shotgun, I know Kalana McCalla was kind of filling in that role, or that's what we talked about. What could Chris Thompson do, given the fact that he's kind of a bruiser a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Chris Thompson is a guy that I was interested in what they how they'd used him the first couple games they'd used him in some bigger packages you know they would take off Chase Williams they'd bring in Chris Thompson when they would put in extra linebackers or extra linemen so he's been using that package um, but this the last couple weeks Kalana McCalla had been had moved to linebacker to start the season um, and then they moved him back to, to safety so he's been playing that nickel role so at times and they used it kind of just later in games uh, the, the last couple weeks when they knew teams were going to be running, but they put him in there instead of Greg Johnson. Now, Greg Johnson struggled to tackle the last couple weeks. He had nine missed tackles in the last two games. Um, so they put Kalana McCall in there as kind of a faux linebacker slash nickelback. So he can cover if they if they a tight end you know, splits out or something like that. They can have him cover, and that's what they want Chris Thompson to do. Now, he's he's got better coverage skills um, you know, than, than probably Kalana McCall. Um, but he and he's a bigger body, so I think that's what they're looking for. Is that we can move him down the box and use him, you know, similar to how they used Talanoa Hufunga last year against Washington State as an extra linebacker. How they used Chase Williams against Washington State, you can use him as an extra body in the box that can make tackles. And from the from talking to the coaches, they sound like that he's one of their more sure-handed tacklers. So that's what they kind of have been missing the last couple of weeks. And again, like Keely said, it's kind of an under radar. Um, injury. He's not a starter. He's not, you know, playing a yeah. ton of reps, but he's on a bunch of special teams. And, you know, if he's a sure tackler, if you have guys struggling to tackle like they had the last couple or the last four weeks, basically, then maybe he's a guy you can insert and say, let's give him a shot and see what he does. Um, and, and they haven't been able to do that because he's been injured. And yeah. Todd Orlando talked about, you know, going back through the film, seeing what they did wrong uh, just from the past couple of weeks and figuring out if there's other guys that can play. So someone like that just gives him another option. It, it seems like they're they're ready to go back to the drawing board and kind of figure out how you get this right because they know things aren't going the way it should be right now. Yeah, for sure. Now let's flip to the other side of the ball. I feel like fans or something kind of circulated where when it came to Jackson Dart, the Notre Dame week was kind of like, the ooh, let's check in on Jackson Dart. Now Dante Williams said that he's still not medically cleared, but like I said before, Williams has been coy about injuries, um, and he said he, that Dart is day-to-day. -day. Uh, I believe he was asked this morning for an update, and that was the latest we got. Ryan, do you expect to see Dart at all somehow on Saturday? <sighs> yeah, um, I kind of do. Like, we saw him out there. So on Tuesday, uh, you know, I, I got there a little bit later. You guys said he, was taking, he wasn't taking the second team reps when they do that quick period out there, when they just go out there full team stuff. Fastball, Miller yeah. Moss was still doing it. They call it fastball. But for the rest of the practice, he was the number two guy. So that kind of left Miller Moss on the sideline really not doing anything. And I love the way he was slinging the ball. It didn't look like his lower body was uh, impeding anything as far as like, you know, delivering and, and how he was using his, his body to kind of help him uh, throw the football out there. He was throwing the ball really well. And it was hard to tell as far how much he was moving as far as like we weren't seeing him like, you know, take off and run out of the pocket that much. They did some footwork drills and things. But the fact that he's still not medically cleared. Now they're saying that. He might be medically cleared, and they're just saying he's not. I don't know. They, they try to be coy like Keeley was um, saying. I think you're going to see the kind of packages that they wanted to run for him Washington at the State. Washington State yeah. game at Notre Dame. Uh, I think all three quarterbacks are going to be there uh, in South Bend. Um, but if it's going to be a thing where Keaton Self is going to start, even though 
Dante Williams is not willing to say he's the starter. There's just some weird subterfuge stuff going on. But I feel like this is a thing where he's going to be okay. It looked, it looked fine to me. I feel like they're going to put some packages in for him. Unless there's really – he's not going to be able to move as much. If it's only for throwing, I think they will just keep Keaton in there. But if he can actually take off and move, I think they'll use him in some of those packages. And, and you'll, you'll get to see the Jackson Dart show a little bit uh, on the road in South Bend. I mean, the biggest thing is those packages are to – take advantage of his mobility yeah and he's yeah. got a knee injury so yeah. i don't think they're going to rush him back to try to throw in some extra packages um i don't think i don't expect him to do much if he does play i think it'll be pretty limited um I, dante williams is you know coy about injuries he doesn't and the biggest thing is he wants the opposition to prepare for everyone so he's not going to tell you if someone's completely out um he's not going to tell you and i don't i don't think that dante williams would I don't think it's a huge advantage to surprise a team with someone. I don't, I don't think that's – I think that Notre Dame is already preparing for Jackson Dart. The biggest thing is making the other team waste some practice time preparing for someone that may not play Yeah. Um, in one way or another, whether it be a quarterback and, hey, they may have a dis- different package. we got to prepare a couple extra you know, against uh, the read option a little bit more because if he comes in, that's something he'll do. I, I think it's more of that than – like if you bring somebody off the bench that the other team doesn't know about and you surprise them with them, I don't, that's yeah. not really necessarily the case. Usually, if they're on your bench, they're on your bench for a reason. And Jackson Dart, they, Notre Dame has seen what he can do. They will have prepared for him at least a little bit, just in case he comes in. Yeah. But Keaton Slovis is going to be the starter, and Keaton Slovis is going to be the guy that USC is going to need to play really well. He needs to play like he did in the second half at Notre Dame in 2019 when USC scored every single time they had the ball. Yeah. Problem is, they only had the ball like four times yeah. because USC's defense couldn't get Notre Dame off the off the field, um, and that was partly they they couldn't stop them running the ball consistently, and they couldn't control the edge. USC has struggled a little bit with that this year. That's going to be something where I think Notre Dame is really going to press the issue and say, let's see if they can do it um, after seeing what you know Utah has done and what uh, Oregon State was able to do against them. I think Notre Dame is going to try to find an advantage by ter- attacking the edges since USC has struggled against them in the past a little bit with that. Mm-hmm. And I talked to Clint McGuire this week, and he, he kind of made a joke a little bit that USC's redshirt freshman tackles kind of are inconsistent in the sense that one, one game they're great, one game they're not so great. And he said, if all things go as patterned, uh, they'll be great this week. There's a great week. game coming yeah, up. Yeah, there's a great game coming up. Shaka, what are you seeing from the offensive line? Do you anticipate a quote-unquote great game coming up? Mm, I don't know if I did. <laughs> they haven't to... been that bad. Like no. for, for the offensive struggle as much as they have this year, you would think, oh, man, the offensive line's terrible. It's not It's not been terrible. It's been fine. You know, like it's it's been okay. The, it's the, been more bigger problems with the offense. The offensive line has given Keaton Slowest time yeah. for the most part. I mean, uh, Keely, I think the stat was, what, six sacks so far or seven sacks through six games? So. I was like 24 last year. 24 <laughs> last year in the same amount of games. So I think that Clay McGuire has done a really good job, especially with the fact that he gave a 24 sacks last year with a left tackle who was letting no one get by him. Right. Like First Elijah Vera Tucker, yeah. <laughs> Tucker was not giving up pressures pretty much all season. So, you know, you have a first round draft pick at the left tackle. Now you got two redshirt freshmen. And how much are they, you know, how, how are their seasons going? It's been up and down. And that's the biggest issue. I think the three interior guys are playing pretty well. Uh, they, they need to put get a little bit more push on run blocks just as a, as a unit. But even there, they're running the ball pretty well. The problem is they're not getting – and their numbers their numbers are fine in the run game. Their numbers are fine in the pass game. They're not, as a team, as an offense, 
they're not getting that last block that they need to spring that big run, you know, to spring that, you know, the big play. The screens that they had against Utah, there were so many opportunities for five more yards at minimum, 10 to 15, 20 more yards at times, because they're just not blocking on the outside. And the, the same thing in the run game is with the offense lineman getting to the second level, getting to that linebacker, that safety. They're doing a good job up front with the defensive line. It's getting to that next level and, you know, turning that five yard gain into a 15 yard game or, you know, a 12 yard gain at least. And, because they're not getting those, they're not being more explosive with those short the, with the short game that they have. It's causing them to have to go twelve plays, fifteen plays, and what do you do when you go 12, 15 plays? You got to go twelve, fifteen plays and not make a mistake, right. and that's the issue. USC's going to make a mistake, yeah. and that's what teams are saying. They're saying like Utah. If you watch them, their cornerbacks are all off. We're not going to play press coverage and give them that one on one opportunity. We're going to put two safeties over the top. You know, we're not going to give them the big plays. And if we do that, we think we'll be okay. Uh, because we feel like USC's not going to be able to consistently go down yeah. the field without making a mistake. And what happens? You have a you have either a penalty, you know, you get a 10-yard holding, now it's, you know, second and 20, or you get a negative play, someone misses a block and now it's, you know, it's second and 12 or it's, you know, third and third and 8 instead of third and 4, and it changes the complexion of you because USC's been really good actually in short yardage situations. You know, the third and third and one, short fourth and one, really good. That's an area they really struggled the last two years. They picked they fixed that. Um, third and four and shorter, they've been really good. The problem is when it's third and eight, third and ten, third and twelve, because one of the issues is actually catching the ball. Just catch the ball. There's been so many times on potential to keep a drive alive, not doing it. Yeah. And I know a lot of people want to blame Keaton Slovis and people want to say that that uh, I'm in love with him or whatever it may be on our message board. Yeah, why do you love Keaton Slovis, Shocker? <laughs> I love that he is he's being patient and he is finding receivers, giving them chances. Now people he's locking on a Drake London. Spencer Tillman in the game, I, I pointed out in the, the film study as well. He's like, Oh, he locked on Gary Bryan on that play. And he's, he never looked at I'm like, you watch the play. Why are you you're an analyst, watch the play. He looks to one guy, he looks to high to a different guy, he comes back down to Gary Bryant. And those are the type of things I don't think the the average fan is paying attention to that Keaton Slovis is doing a lot better. And the coaching staff has given him a lot of credit for what he's done with getting them in the right run plays and stuff, which that's hard to, you know, kind of can't really evaluate. It's hard to evaluate yeah, from um, watching that. But I think you know the the issue that he's had this year and the the one thing that I think is the biggest concern right now is he's got nine touchdowns and five interceptions. That's not good enough. No. And some of those interceptions are coming when you're way behind, and they need to run the ball more. I think it, the bigger issue than Keaton Slovis, and I know a lot of people want to place blame on him, is the offense as a whole. Yes. I think that is a much bigger issue, and whether it was Jack, would, whether it was Jackson Dart or Miller Moss or Keaton Slovis in there, I think they would all have some of those similar issues. Now, Jackson Dart can remedy some of those right. Just with his mobile. legs. Yeah. Um, some of them, but not all of them. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's definitely issues with the offense, and and you know being able to sustain drives when they're just not that buttoned down. It's just not it's not precise. So you can get the big plays and score, but can you go 12 plays in a row without messing up? And we just haven't seen them be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And even with the big plays, their their biggest option is who? Drake London, of course. <laughs> but his his longest play this year is like 40 something yards. Like, it's not 70 or 80 yards. It's yeah. not the 65, 70-yard touchdown against uh, UCLA. Uh, now, they've gotten, a, you know, several 35 to 40-yard plays, but it's not those huge explosive plays, one or two plays a drive, and you're done. It's still, we got to get it down to the 50-yard line. we got to get it to the 40, and now we get a big 
play by Drake London that sets up a you know a two yard run or something. You know, yeah. there's 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 things that still this offense. There's a lot of improvements that still could happen. Uh, one last thing before I jump into our callers, I thought it was interesting um, just talking to several coaches and talking. I know you picked up on this too. We've heard some not complaints, but uh, thoughts that USC's scout team prep could be better. Now I know depth is an issue, but we've heard coaches say that like, hey, this scout team we didn't really have that many great looks, or we didn't have you know stuff that made us feel prepared, more or less. That's I'm summarizing what they're saying. And Chuck, and you got to ask Dante Williams about that this morning. What do you have to say about that issue? I mean, he said that the injuries are a part of it. Obviously, they don't have defensive line depth. They've had to have like Solomon Tuliolapupu and Elijah Winston playing defensive line positions. And that's part of it. But also, there's not a fire, a competitive fire in those those no. those reps, except for Solo. <laughs> Solo, yeah, and, that, and that's what I, you know, that's the type of player you're looking at, and you're like, oh man, that's why everyone looks at him and goes, man, I can't wait to see him out there. It's unfortunate because the injuries and stuff that have continued to, to hamper him, but they need more guys that have that fire. Like they need a you know, they need a offensive one of those freshman offensive linemen, not that the guys that are playing, but one of those new guys that came in to be like, I'm gonna beat Drake Jackson and prove to the coaches this is my opportunity. Like I should be the next guy up. They need more guys that see those scout team reps as an opportunity to put it on tape and show like the coaches like look you're messing up by not playing me by having me over, why are you got me on scout team let me show you that I shouldn't be here I should be over with you know with the ones or twos and I just don't feel like that's there now some of it is hey the ball's in the air to a wide receiver you don't want somebody leaping up and drinking and coming down and rolling an ankle or something but go hard all the time and then the game's easier isn't that always the saying yeah but it's that's not been the case especially with those scout team looks they just kind of walk through things and you know they're like oh it's different when we get to a game and there's a 300 pounder that's one thing not having those defense linemen but it's different when you got somebody who's actually trying to get by you than when you're just standing around playing pity pat yeah we get to watch most of this on the tuesdays and, and, and unfortunately on tuesday too and this might help going forward now that dart is back Miller Moss was the scout team quarterback for a while. So you had a young scholarship quarterback, four-star guy that's going to go out there and try to complete every pass against the defense. And then for the last few weeks, you haven't had that because he's been the backup quarterback. But he moved back over there doing that on Wednesday. So that should help uh, the defense a little bit. But, you know, even this week, and I think you were saying it last week too, there's a lot of sort of install stuff going on. So some of the scout team looks are literally walkthroughs. They're just kind of yeah. walking through the play. And we're not seeing... You know, the intensity there and like what, you know, to your point is um, you would like to see some more, you know, good versus good ones versus ones. But if not, when you're doing that scout team stuff and it's a deeper team, they should have more bodies out there. And there's certain spots where they don't. You want to see that competitive fire and guys going after it and a little trash talk and trying to get, get into somebody's face. That's the only way you're going to prepare for an actual team. If you're really just going against, you know, you could just put cones out there the way some of this is going. So I don't know, just we, we do get a, a bird's eye view for a lot of this stuff. And I don't know, just the overall thought I saw watching is just like, yeah, there's just not, it's lacking some of that intensity. So, you know, the, their comments about they want better scout team looks. I think you it's some roster stuff, but I think some of it can be coming from the top too. A different mandate, you know, of, hey, here's how we're going to do things uh, going forward. What's interesting and, though is that, sorry, Shotgun, Dante Williams actually started the, hey, look look at the, the competition Tuesdays that happened in the Pete Carroll era. Apparently he made mm -hmm. them watch practice tape um, that Tuesday morning. And Shotgun, I know you and I noted that at least the beginning of practice had an extra pop to it. Like there was some intensity where we felt like, hey, this is kind of like a, a fall camp practice. But then, like you mentioned, Ryan, when the walkthroughs came through, 
through, it was hard to get that energy back up after they were done with that. So it was a kind of a give and take there. And there's going to be, you know, if you're installing stuff, there's going to be walkthroughs, there's going to be time, it's going to take a little bit. Um, but, you know, Dante Williams talked about how they've been doing it and they've been walking through. And sometimes they do it with, you know, four guys that are at, at the X position or the Y position. All four guys walk through it together. You throw the ball to, to Drake London, the other three backups behind him are just walking through, but you're you're walking through the route. But then they, they go and they try to go more of a, you know, regular speed. Like, that's when it should be, all right, turn up, let's go. Yeah. And someone and, – and one of the things, if you're the coaching staff and you're looking at, like, we're just not getting it, is promote somebody from the scout team. Like, someone that has a really good day, say, all right, give them some reps. And, and to point it out to the team and say, look, this guy's done his work on special teams, whether it's a walk-on, whether it's whoever – doesn't have to be a ton of rest, but now if I'm on the scouts, I'm like, oh crap, yeah. this actually means something. It's because the eye in the sky doesn't lie. So all, all everyone will always say, film doesn't lie. So you point it out on film, give that person, bump them up to the second stream, bump someone else down, yeah, and make it actually competitive. Relegation. Yeah, <laughs> make it competitive. Hey, your spot's on the line. Yeah, they talk about that all the time, but put it in motion, and then you know because we've seen pretty much now they've done this on the I think the defense line. I think Vic Soto. If you don't practice well, you don't play. I think yeah. We've seen that some. Yeah. Um, but there are certain positions where it doesn't matter how you practice. You're going to be, you know, you're the guy, you're the starter. But you know, sometimes if it's Drake London, say, hey, Drake's not, and it'll never be that because yeah, this guy, say. <laughs> this guy, which is why I'm pointing him out because yeah. as as an example. But if it's Drake London, your best player, guy who practices through when he probably shouldn't be practicing, and you say he's not practicing well enough, Joseph Manjack, you're getting the start this week. Everyone, whoa, what what just happened here? Yeah. It wakes everybody up. Everybody realizes you give him three plays, and then suddenly Drake's back in there, and he's catching 12 balls, and it's fine. But <laughs> everyone goes, oh, wow, Drake lost his spot. And and maybe it takes an example like that. I don't know that obviously Drake Lynn is not going to be that guy, but you know, someone's loafing in practice or someone doesn't practice hard, you point it out, and you go with it. But it just feels like they need something to push that competitiveness more. And I think – Showing film of competitive competition Tuesdays from Pete Carroll era is is a good start. Yeah, but need to follow through that after that. Yeah. Yep. Alrighty, let's jump into some callers. First up is I believe Mike from Silver Lake. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hello. Probably shouldn't be practicing. Hey, Hi, this is Mike from Silver Lake, and uh, I, I'm calling. I'm a, I'm a Notre Dame fan, but I, so I was reading uh, Irish Illustrated uh, Tim O'Malley's uh, column, and Ryan was interviewed, and Ryan seemed so pessimistic uh, about the, uh, the Trojans' chances. It really surprised me. I mean, hasn't he seen Notre Dame play this year? They certainly aren't knocking the uh, the, the goalposts down. That's for sure. Uh, I don't see it as a, a 42-27 game. I see it more like a, a 31-27 with either Notre Dame or USC winning in the in the end. Um, Notre Dame can't uh, receivers can't get off the line. They are basically can be stopped by. Uh, uh, by uh, close hand checks, uh, the, the line is a sieve, and the um, yet the defense plays pretty well. So I'm very surprised that Ryan would seem so pessimistic about what uh, what SC's chances were. Uh, thanks for the the call. Yeah, so uh, we did uh, five questions, uh, Tim O'Malley, and we put those up on USCFootball.com. Tim. Uh, did a good job describing what's kind of going on within the, the uh, Notre Dame program. I did the same thing 
for Irish Illustrated. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've been wrong in a lot of these games and stuff before. Just from what I've been watching, I feel like you're going to go on the road to South Bend. Um, this isn't, you know, Virginia Tech. This isn't Purdue. This is a team that's really, to me, is sort of facing a crossroads that um, you could lose the team. You know, Dante Williams might have already. I mean, they get blown out like they have at home. That's teetering on the edge. And if they can come out and score early and get some momentum going, I feel like USC can definitely hang in this game. But they get punched in the mouth. We just haven't seen them been able to take a punch and get back off the mat. And I feel like this is a team that can literally spiral out of control and maybe score some points late. That's what the kind of the formula has been, uh, you know, at, at at the Coliseum. So if you know, if I had to put money on this one, I'd probably, I'm taking Notre Dame and I'm uh, laying the the six and a half or seven points or whatever. But I mean, everyone here. I mean, if I wouldn't be shocked like if USC goes out and wins the game, it's not like it'd be shocking, but. I think the likely scenario is it's going to it's going to take a lot of things to go right for USC and I know Notre Dame's not you know the greatest team that we've seen uh you know in in the last decade from the Irish and they're nowhere near as good as they were last year but USC they they've had some real problems going forward that's why I feel this can be a turn the corner game if they do play well they can they they have the talent to win out you know but they're going to have to play well in this game I think to kind of build some of that momentum I'm just not convinced that they're going to be able to do that yeah Shaka, any thoughts you want to add on there? Yeah, I think what like Ryan has said uh, a couple times now is that this could be a momentum game for USC. If they play well and, and can find a way to win, I think that gives them gives the buy-in to the team. Like, oh, okay, this is the team we can be um, and will give them a chance to play really well the rest of the season. Um, but can they do that? That'll be the big question. Um, and I think it starts in that first quarter. You know, they've been really good. The offense has moved the ball really well in the first quarter. Uh, every, pretty much every game outside of maybe Washington State. When they move the ball really well, can you punch it in? Don't settle for a field goal. Don't miss a field goal. Don't have, you know, don't get to the 35 and then get backed up, you know, with a penalty and a negative yardage play and have to punt the ball. Go and punch it in. And if you put 14 points up early, you know, even if Notre Dame scores 14-7, like that gives you all the confidence and boost. And then if USC goes into one of their second and third quarter lulls, at least you're playing from ahead to begin with. Yeah. Um, and I think it just gives confidence because I think, like you said, they have struggled to get knocked down and get back up. Yeah. So if they get some momentum going early, I think that would really boost them uh, and, and give them an opportunity in this game. Even if they play well, like what are you talking about? What's that eight minutes thing where like the last four minutes in the, of the, the second quarter and the first of the third, like USC has been pretty bad at that. But so even if they play well, you're still going to have to like – transition between the halves and, and play well. We haven't seen USC do that very much. They had one game where they had a great third quarter at Washington State, right? Yeah. And that was yeah. it. And that was that was the same thing. That was before, you know, uh, the phrase is dominate the eight. That's what Graham Harrell uh, apparently tells the offense. So it's the last four minutes of the half, the first four minutes of the second half. And Washington State, you, that final drive, when Jackson Dart actually got hurt, was with about four and a half minutes, something like that, three and a half minutes to go. That was one of the first plays of that drive. They go down, score on fourth and nine, all the momentum going in. Special teams makes a play right out to halftime. You go score again. Suddenly, momentum, momentum, momentum. Um, And that hasn't been the case often with USC. So if you can play well in that eight minutes, that gives you a great chance. But I think if getting out to an early advantage, I think gives them confidence to actually go into that eight minutes where, you know, they're not like the Utah game suddenly getting blown out. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to our final caller in the queue. It's our buddy Dave from Iowa. Hello, you're live on television. Hello, can you guys hear me? Yep. Hey, Dave. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, first off, uh, you guys told me to check the tape last episode. If Ryan did say talent doesn't matter, he did say it uh, two episodes ago. So you guys can go to the six minute and 40 second mark just to. <laughs> okay, Dave, thanks. I appreciate that. that. He came like, with receipts, Ryan. But, <laughs> you take three words Dave, out of context. Awesome. You didn't read everything okay. around it, Dave. Okay. Come on, Dave. Okay, right. Come on, Dave. Just go to, get to what you want to talk okay. about. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. The main thing I wanted to talk about was, the main thing I wanted to talk about was, since USC lost out on that five-star D commit today, do you think Bobby Steiner and the boys has a plan for any of those DBs to gain, like, you know, well over 115 pounds or so to, you know, take care of business out of the trenches? Because right now we're going to be looking even weaker and weaker each year if we don't be, if we don't be, if we don't keep getting those big linemen. What are your thoughts? Thanks, Dave. Thanks, well, Dave. Also, don't take Ryan seriously. He's just teasing. Yes. Sorry, continue. It's just it's been a long day. But, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, poor guy. I know. <laughs> we also I, didn't got to, to, I didn't get to play golf today. Tears, <laughs> Ryan. Uh, we also got a question on Facebook from a guy who said, was losing Michael Williams inevitable? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, this was a, the recruiting class was not going to be stellar. That was a, to get a five-star, you know, commit from Georgia. Uh, you know, that's great work that they did, but the coaching staff changing up, you weren't going to be able to keep that. Now, you know, maybe they get back into something uh, when you get a new head coach, but th this was something that was inevitable. If you read the war room, we've talked about this and stuff over the last couple of weeks. So, I mean, but yeah, you, you can't put a lot of stock in the recruiting class. And just because you lose the five-star defensive tackle from Georgia doesn't mean that Isaiah Polamalan has to put on 150 pounds and he has to be a defensive lineman. Sorry. Anthony Beavers or something. Yeah. Oh, you do that. Yeah, get one of the young guys. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be a challenge, this recruiting class, until they get a new head coach. And the sooner you can get a new head coach, the better you can build this class. I mean, I think we got like eight or nine commits right now, whereas like Penn State has like 20-something. So they're behind on the number of commits because there are a number of guys out there that probably, if everything was stable, would have been committed to USC. Right. But they're like, I don't know. If this is going to be the place for me, I love USC, this place I grew up rooting for, whatever it may be, but I got to wait and see what happens. You know, if they hire someone that runs the triple option and I'm a, you know, five-star quarterback, I'm not going to go there. So, you know, you're going to look at what defense they're running, what fronts they're, they're trying to play, you know, who's the defense coordinator when they come in. Do I have a relationship with this person already? Because some, some of them do, and that can be positive or negative. Um, so that's all going to play into it. So that's why it's important to get a coach as soon as you can to work on that because if they hire them after the regular season, you got about three weeks, two and a half weeks uh, to, to be able to try to put together a class. And that's challenging because that head coach is going to be getting his – you're going to get as many kids as you can in because once you get a new head coach, you can get official visits again. Uh, so you're going to try to get as many guys then. But also that head coach because you can do the in-homes, they're going to be flying all over the place and also – it's almost like they got a new job and they're trying to learn everything and yes. everything going on at the same time. So the more time you have, the better. But that's one of the challenges with the new early signing period is that there's not a lot of leeway for you know the timing of head coaches being hired after the season. Yeah, it's like they're building a restaurant and uh, you're trying to call and, and place your order. It's like it's still being constructed. You know, like there's just <laughs> you're not going to be committing to USC at this point. You have to wait to see what's going on. And it really was just trying to hang on to the commits you already had, who. For whatever reason, there's like, you know, if, if there's a reason to de decommit, they will. If not, they can kind of wait around and, and see. Uh, but you might see more guys drop off, too. It's just they don't have a big class. It started off good. But now that you, you know, you lose your head coach in the second game of the season, there wasn't going to be a whole lot of recruiting going on during the season because you just don't know who the head coach is going to be. I mean, they're recruiting. They're trying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they are on the road. Yeah. The bye week. 
First time since 2019. Dante Williams has been all over the place during yeah. the bye week. He was like, do, 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 all over the country. What was that, Chuck? Uh, yeah, you heard it. You heard it. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. The, the coaches, you know, the coaches that are really recruiting hard are guys that are thinking, hey, I might get kept around for the next coach. There's some coaches like, I'm gone. So right. how much am I going to really put in the effort? And obviously your recruiting class is not going to take off when guys are like, hey, I, I would hope you could, if you want to commit here, you can. I don't know if I'll be here or not. With <laughs> um, It makes it very tough. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, again, the sooner you get a head coach, the sooner those guys find out and the guys that are kept around can really go, you know, go hard on the guys they already have relationships with, those things. I mean, Michael Williams is a huge loss for them, a five-star defense lineman. That's what USC has been missing. Now, they got an edge guy in Corey Foreman last year and Drake Jackson a few years ago as a, four, a high four-star. Michael Williams was an interior guy. Christian Miller is a good friend of his. He kind of dropped off USC uh, or left USC off his list you know, about a, a couple months ago or a month ago. But he would have been another guy if everything was stable and USC was playing really well right now, another guy that USC was in the mix for, and that's a defense tackle. So, you know, if you could bring two defense tackles from Georgia, that would have been huge for this recruiting class. And... I won't say it's over with Michael Williams. It's probably over. But there is still the connection. His half-brother is Michael Trigg. Um, obviously, Michael Trigg is is in the plans for USC's future. So, you know, I, I think that, that can't be written off, especially if a guy, a new coach comes in and does everything he can to go after Michael Williams. I'd be the first guy I call if I'm – him and Damani Jackson will be the first two calls that I make. All righty, let's jump into some questions. Yeah. First one is for you, Ryan, on YouTube. It said, uh, you said on the podcast of Champions that if you are a Washington State fan, you don't want to touch Graham Harrell. Do you mind expanding on that? Um, I mean, if you're going to hire an assistant coach, you want to be a, the assistant coach that's really good at their job, right? It's not – and if you were looking at Graham Harrell 2019, there was a lot – oh, they're scoring points. It looks, you know, it looks great. The offense looks awesome. The offense hasn't looked awesome for the last couple of years. So do you want to bring Graham Harrell in? It's more because of the association with you want the air raid kind of thing again, even though that's not really what USC is running right now. Um, and, you know, the fact that he had been there with Mike Leach, you're sort of doing a Lane Kiffin-ish uh, Steve Sarkeesian thing at Washington State. But Harrell doesn't have that sort of resume right now from a Power 5 program. Like, uh, we like the North Texas stuff, you know, what was going on there. He had one good year in 2019, but the last two years the offense hasn't been that good. So I don't. I think Washington State can do. But I don't think Graham Harrell's really a up going to be up for a lot of head coaching jobs. So I don't think you know a Washington State would want to go out on a limb and, and hire Graham Harrell right now. And this is the thing: six games left, a full half season, a full 2020 season in the Pac-12. If the offense comes out on fire, Graham Harrell's name gets really hot. It does, So yeah. this is why Graham Harrell should be doing everything he can to try to win. This is why the coaches, like some people go ask us, are like, why are the coaches even trying anymore? Um, because they want to advance their careers yes. and they don't want their careers to just end. So if Graham Harrell and the offense starts putting up 35, 40 points a game and they're consistent and they finish in the red zone and you know they get some guys wide open with some schematic stuff, you go, hmm, this guy knows what he's doing. And everyone forgets about the last 12 games from the 2020 and the first half of this season and then look at those last six and someone will jump on that and be like, oh, we want to hire him either for another offense coordinator position at a, you know, at, at a power five school or a potential head coaching position. Yeah, he already jumped up from group of five OC to power five OC. We haven't seen him crush it as a power five OC, so you don't jump to power five head coach, at least in my opinion. We had a question on YouTube from Alex who said, is USC's defense regressing because they practice against a predictable Graham Harrell offense, he says. 
And I thought I put that one up. I thought that was an interesting one. Um, We've had a couple questions like this. Yeah. Um, and you're practicing against them, but there's not a during season. There's not a lot of one versus ones yeah. or ones versus twos. You, you get a little bit of competition period, like the speedball. Um, and but you know, it's not like you're constantly going against them. You're going in a scout team. You know, you're doing you know what the opposition is going to do. Now they looked fine during camp to me. So I don't think they're regressing now from from facing them. Um, there's there's not a ton of times where it's just put the ball down. All right, Todd Orlando, you call your plays how you want, and Graham Harrell, you call your plays how you want. Oftentimes there's a script. Hey, let's put them in this situation, this situation. Yeah. So I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think you can still be good on defense with an offense that runs an air raid. Look at Oklahoma's defense this year, much improved from where they have been in the past, and they're still running you know, that style of offense. Yeah. We had a question from Craig on Facebook who wanted us to talk about USC's linebackers. Uh, he said, can you talk about the productivity or lack thereof from the linebackers? I see a couple of producers, but pretty quiet on the rest. I mean, there's only two guys really on the field. If you, I mean, yeah. I don't include and Trey, Maga Trey leads, Jackson as a linebacker. And he, Kanai Maga leads the team in tackles, I believe. So, And he's, he's the he's one guy that's been kind of quietly productive, I guess. Yeah, and when they're facing run, rushing teams, teams that want to run between the tackles, he's the guy that makes some big thumps and does some things. The problem is he's a little bit of a liability when you're facing teams that want to pass the ball all the time. Um, you know, he's not gonna he's not the guy that's gonna cover out in space. You know, he needs to be closer to the boundary instead of the you know, the field side and having to chase a running back on a wheel route or whatever it may be. That's not his strength. His strength is coming downhill, hitting guys and popping them in the mouth. And you know, I, I've talked with Michael Hutchings about him and said that he does a lot of things that people don't notice. He he corrects a lot of other people's mistakes. So I think he's playing pretty well. The problem is the spot beside him. Now, Raylan Goforth, I thought when he got ejected for the targeting, I thought the game and a half before that, I thought he'd been playing really well. But, you know, he's come back and it's been slow to get back in the mix and, and he didn't have a good game against Utah in that second half. So where is he at? Can he take that jump? Can he take that step forward? Because we saw last year he struggled the first couple games and he really came on in, in that third game against Utah as well. I thought both of those guys did. So can he step up or do they need to start looking further down? You know, if it's not Raylan Goforth or Raymond Scott, who's the next guy? Is it Tua Sebi Nomura? Is it Rajon Davis? It, who's the next guy that they can put in there and plug and play if those two guys aren't aren't, aren't getting it done? Mm-hmm. We got a question from Derek on YouTube who says, why does the coaching staff always talk about, quote-unquote, that one play after every loss? How can we expect the players to have any fight in them when it seems like the coaches fold after the first sign of trouble? That's his opinion. I don't know if it's folding after the first sign of trouble. Like it, it's hard when you pl- don't play well. What kind of explanation is going to make sense? We've we've got some weird ones. Um, we it, there's sort of been some excuses at times, especially with the Clay Helton stuff. I feel like we've got some better answers uh, since that's come through. But it's hard. I mean, you know, I, if you watch the Todd Orlando video this week, there's just sort of a level of exasperation at some point where you're like, you know, like you can't just give up 40-something points to everyone that walks into the Coliseum and they're scoring, you know, teams are scoring their season high against you. So I don't, I don't think it's a just they're giving up or anything like that, but uh, it's hard. I mean, I don't think they have all the answers either where it helps too when you have, you're the defensive coordinator, you're the offensive coordinator and things aren't going well. You sort of have like a boss that's over you that's like, we're going to make things right. And you have, you know, you had a great head coach, if, if you know, whoever it is, if it's Chris Peterson or somebody and one of his coordinators struggling, 
he can kind of disseminate information down and sort of help the entire thing work better. So the entire team is going to be playing better. You're just not getting that right now. Dante Williams never been in that position. Clay Helton wasn't really good at that. You sort of have all these people on an island doing their own thing. So it's sort of like you're you're not getting a lot of technical support. You're trying to figure out your computer and uh, things aren't going right. You're not exactly sure why. I feel like that's more of what's going on than, you know, coaches are just like giving up or just, you know, they're telling their players to give up. I mean, I feel like this is maybe directed at, at Graham Harrell because he'll point out one specific play where things may have turned. Um, I, I don't think that they just say, oh, it was that one play and that was the difference in the game. You, you can't say that when you're losing and blowout fortune like like they have uh, the last few games at home. So um, they've pointed to where that, that middle eight, that they're not getting the job done. Uh, but I don't feel like there's a lot of it just saying, oh, if we just w- changed that one play, everything would have been fine. I think that there's way too many deficiencies to just be able to push. That. Yeah. When you're getting, you know, you're losing by four scores in the fourth quarter for all these home games. Like, it's not like, oh, that one thing didn't go our way. Like, no, there's a lot of things that didn't go your way. That one yeah. thing where they scored more points than us. <laughs> a lot more. We're at the almost at the top of the hour, so I'm going to put us in rapid fire. I like mode. that. We got a question from Jasper Smith who said, during the bye week, was there any noticeable improvements from some of the guys lower on the depth charts that might warrant some playing time? I mean, Ismail Sofsher getting more and more reps, I think, kind of plays into that. Um, as far as noticeable improvements, I don't feel like there's enough competition periods for us to just go, wow, that guy just looks completely different now. Um, the They did have the young guy scrimmage, and we heard some positive things from about Miller Moss and a couple of other players on there, but no coach really kind of came flat, flat out and said, this guy really showed us something, and we may play him more now. Uh, Dante Williams did say, you know, they've taken – what they saw in the young guys' scrimmage and tried to, you know, and some of those guys are getting some more reps. And we did see, you know, on that defense, Caitlin Bullock getting some first-team reps. We saw Jalen Smith getting some first-team reps. Yeah. So maybe some of, the, in some of those DBs, those young DBs that we've seen a little bit of, maybe they get some more opportunities. And that was the thing that, that Dante Williams or, or maybe it was Todd Orlando said that, hey, we're not looking at somebody to basically take over and be the starter and, you know, play every snap. We're looking at somebody to bump up from – 10 or 15 snaps to 25 or 30. Um, and, and that's the case. Those are the guys you're kind of looking at, uh, Kalen Bullock and, and Jalen Smith. Yeah, that's that was Orlando who said that. Um, we have a question from – sorry, I'm trying to pick one over here. Sometimes I can be indecisive. I got one on Tyler if you want to. Uh, we actually have one from Jasper Smith. He said, at 3-3, three and three, what teams left on the schedule USC beat to get bowl eligible considering the USC players can use the extra practices? Yeah, so I mean, Arizona is the first one, obvious, right? So no matter what happens at Notre Dame, not like, obvious, definite. They yeah. don't lose to Arizona. I've already told you, Ryan. I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> done like, covering this team. Oh my we literally might stop covering games and just only cover the coaching search at that point. Uh, that would be really, really bad. Like the Arizona's first win, they're on an 18 game losing streak right now. Um, they'll probably be 19 by the time they play USC. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a bad one. Uh, I think Cal is a team that we've seen. You know, they they gave Oregon a game. Like they can be okay, but they're pretty bad too. Like we, I have them as our number ten team in the power rankings in the in the Pac twelve. Um, USC already played Colorado, so you can't get that win. But you know, Cal is one you you have to win. You got to beat Cal. Um, you know, BYU's been struggling a little bit lately. Uh, they've got some injuries, so I think those are probably the three. You know. Most likely, what you you know, you still got Arizona State. Maybe you know Herb Edwards is fired by the time it happens. UCLA looks good, so I think you got to get wins against uh, Cal and Arizona for sure, and then try to win at least one of those other four. 
What did you take away from the the vague Antonio Pierce Twitter bio change? Yeah, so George Reister pointed out that Antonio Pierce, the defensive coordinator for Arizona State, basically scrubbed all Arizona State references from his social media. I asked an Arizona State insider, and he said it didn't, you know, it's like, it's nothing. So we'll see. So no Twitter watching? Ever yeah, I mean, we, we watch it for sure. I mean, I, I I just feel like Arizona State at any moment the second shoe could drop. Like we, like they've already suspended three coaches. Like stuff, fireworks could happen. Like what we saw with Rolovich, we knew there was a deadline for Rolovich, and pretty much the deadline happened, and he gets fired. Right, so that's already blown up. Um, they play BYU this weekend, so that'll be interesting. Arizona State, we're waiting on the NCAA and stuff, so. Uh, some kind of investigation. If something happens and Arizona State gets tipped off, hey, this is coming down. You might see a cleaning of house, but they kind of, they've, I think Arizona State sort of bet their future on this year. They needed to have a really good year this year. And then getting the loss, um, you know, to Utah last week uh, wasn't great. And they were up 21-7 and then just did nothing in the second half. So watch the Arizona State thing just to see what (laughs) happens. But maybe USC gets a little lucky and they're kind of in a turmoil situation. And USC is already in a turmoil situation. So I guess it would just even things out. (laughs) We got a question from Andrew on YouTube who said, "Will the corners play better against Notre Dame?" USC needs them to. Yeah. Because again, I think they're going to sell out to try to stop the run. Even though Notre Dame hasn't done it well, you can't let that get going. Um, and I think that they feel comfortable, especially when Jack Cohen is in there, of having him try to throw and beat them. Uh, I think that's what they want to try to do. And I think that you know Chris Steele needs to needs to bounce back. He didn't play well against Utah. He needs to bounce back. Isaiah Taylor Stewart's been playing pretty well. Um, and he needs to continue that. Yeah, I mean, I think the bye week, you know, Dante Williams, that's his group, you know. And uh, I mean, I asked him about, like, kind of what you did. He was sort of reevaluating everything, you know, because it's his first time being head coach. So it's not just a bye week for the team. It's sort of like a bye week for him to kind of go, like, oh, boy, I'm head coach. What have I been doing? <laughs> Should I change this up? I feel like he's going to fire up um, the uh, defensive backs a little bit. So I think they're going to play better. I-, I think they also need some help, and that's – Linebackers not getting sucked too far in on play action. It's safeties similar, but also being able to help out over the top when need be. I mean, you know, Chris Steele gets beat on that flea flicker, but that's on the safety too. You know, you could see that the the offensive line was in their pass sets. So as a safety, you can't go screaming down into the box, especially on fourth and one. You're not going to make an impact. Unless you're already playing up at five yeah. yards away, you're not making an impact to stop it on fourth and one. Yeah. You got to trust your guys in front of you. And that's one of the things that Craig Nivar said. He said the safeties, when the safeties are playing well, this defense is good. He said when the safeties aren't playing well, that's when the defense is struggling. He said they're not playing well right now. And he said one of the things is trust. They need to trust that the other 10 guys are going to do theirs. Just do your 111th and not try to you know be Superman. So I think that's something you need the safeties to start playing a little bit better too, and that'll help out those corners. Gilbert on Facebook wanted to know, is there any uh, offensive line guys USC is going to recruit in this cycle? Yes, they're going to recruit offensive line guys. Yeah, but you just, uh, recruiting does not matter until you hire the head coach. Like, I mean, it, it does matter, but it it's not something that you can look at as, okay, they got to get this guy, this guy, this guy, or even point to and say they may be able to get this guy. Yeah, you or, can't plan it right because now. Because, like I said, the head coach comes in and okay, the, the offensive linemen they've been, high, they've been a- attacking and recruiting are tall guys, 6'7", that are lanky, wingspan, they can play in this air raid, keep the quarterback, you know, keep them at bay. The quarterback should be able to get ball, rid of the ball quickly. You know, the new coach may come in and be like, I need a 
you know, I need a Damian Mama. I need a 360-pound road grader at, at guard, and that's not what they've been recruiting. So he may come in and say, this completely changed this. this is, we need to, to change the body types we're looking forward to. Yeah. Oh, we got a question from Bill on Facebook who said, do you guys think Dave Aranda or Justin Wilcox might be candidates for USC? Uh, Dave Aranda could be a candidate for sure. Um, Justin Wilcox, hell to the no. So, oh. yeah. No way is Justin Wilcox a head coaching candidate for USC. He's probably going to get fired at Cal. Like, you're not going to hire him at USC. I don't know if he's going to get fired at Cal. I mean, they're not providing a ton of resources there. So, what are they, one in five? They are bad, but still, if you don't give anyone any resources, it's hard, hard to win. I, um, I'm baffled that that question would even come up. I yeah, guess, that's a I strange get the, one. I get, the, I get Dave Miranda, but like Justin Wilcox, like, what? And, and also, a be, one in five Cal team, like, that's, the, that's where you're going. Be, it'd be much different if, like, he left here to go get the cow job because he was just doing so well at USC. No, he got he fired was fired at USC. Here, so, yeah. yeah, that one's not. But Aranda, that's a hot name right now. He could be at LSU, could be looking at him. You know, USC could be looking at him. Some of the other jobs that will open up because of the movement, he could be a, a candidate. He's done a pretty good job at Baylor so far in two years, and that's not an easy situation to win at. No, he's doing great. The problem is he just doesn't have a whole lot of seasoning. So, But he's, he's, he's going to get a good job if he wants to go somewhere else. We got a question from Alan for you, Shotgun, and I thought it was interesting. He said, could you produce a piece where we see USC's offense side-by-side to a similar offense that actually works like an Oklahoma? I would love to see the differences in execution. I didn't fully read this question before reading it out loud, but I think I thought he was going to try and say between different air raids, but yes. I mean, that's basically yeah. if he's looking yeah. at the Oklahoma. Um, that would have been a great question two weeks ago going into the bye <laughs> week. Um, that might be a... Might be an off-season kind of question. Yeah, yeah, but Graham Harrell, will he be around? Yeah, it wouldn't even really matter anymore. But uh, um, one, of the, one of the things is when Oklahoma's offense is going right, uh, and now it's it's playing much better under Caleb Williams. He's come in and you know change transform what they can do uh, with his legs and just accuracy. But when it's going right, they run the ball really well. You know that Baker Mayfield team. You think about Baker Mayfield. You think about Kyler Murray. Those two years, you know Heisman quarterbacks. They ran the ball oh, really? really well. Rodney Anderson would run for 150, 180 yards. Uh, that I, I was at the Rose Bowl. I covered the Rose Bowl when they played Georgia, and you know they had two like uh, lengthy touchdown runs uh, early in the game, and it was back and forth both of those offenses. But both of those teams ran the ball. That's what USC, if they could do the things I was talking about a little bit earlier with their short game, whether it be the screens or the run, getting that extra block to churn. Five-yard gains and the 12-yard gains, and potentially you make one guy miss, and it's a 60-yard gain. That's what they're not doing consistently. They're not, you know, they've used the word over and over and over on both sides of the ball, finish. And it is absolutely correct. They need to finish. Now, it's easy to just say that, but finish your tackles, finish your blocks, all those type things. And that's the difference, I think, in the really good offenses that are running similar schemes is they get all those blocks. USC doesn't. Yeah. Their tight ends don't block. They're, you know, they've struggled on the offensive line in the past. Their wide receivers on the edges don't. Taj Washington is probably their best blocker on the outside, and he's five foot ten. Yeah, he's a little dude. Uh, I just want to give a special shout out to Coley, our resident Notre Dame fan. Showed up buzzer beater just in time. So. Oh, nice, Coley. I know it's his week, so I'm glad he was able to make it. Uh, he's probably watching the Dodgers. Uh, apparently, he's working. Oh. Um, we had a question from Alex who said, "Will USC provide resources to the new coach for him to hire a plus assistants?" Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the bigger questions too. Not that, I, I think USC's proven that they want to provide resources, but the challenge is like, it's not just like, okay, you're gonna probably pay a new head coach a ton of money, 
But if you're an assistant coach, um, this has come up before, like, you know, comparing the LSU and USC jobs, one of the advantages of being at Baton Rouge instead of Los Angeles is, say you're like a, you know, defensive back coach making like a good salary, like 400 grand a year or something like that's nice, you know? Well, that goes a lot further in, uh, you know, Baton Rouge than it does in Los Angeles. And you're not living in a mansion, uh, not that you're going to be paycheck to paycheck and, you know, you're not going to get a lot of sympathy, but it's, you're going to have a different lifestyle where you're super comfortable in one place and you're fine in another place, but not like, oh, I'm going to go buy a big house. And I'm like, no, you can't really do that. So, yeah, I think there's some, um, they're going to put a bunch of resources in, but it's kind of a little bit of an uphill climb too, because you can't, you're not going to be able to give the same sort of, uh, lifestyle i guess you could at a smaller college kind of town uh lee wanted to know is ooh, is mel tucker a candidate i don't think he will be potentially for usc i mean for uh lsu, LSU yeah um there's sec ties there apparently there's some lsu guys that are big on mel tucker um he's doing great at michigan state but this is his first year uh, you know he's been a head coach for three years it's the first time he's had a winning record it's one of those things like Dave Aranda, like he's going to be a big name, but it's probably too early. And there's not really those kind of ties for USC. So I don't think he'll be a USC candidate, but potentially like a more of a dark horse LSU one. He also could start losing some recruiting credibility. How are you going to go into someone's house and be like, hey, I really want you to come. I want you to be here four or five years. Be like, coach, when's the last time you stayed four or five years yeah. anywhere? Like, you're not going to be there. Why would I come there? So, you know, I think that gets a little more, it, bit difficult for him right now because he had one year at Colorado. This is his second year at Miss, Michigan State if he jumps somewhere. Now, I, you can't blame him. I mean, he got his salary doubled and his assistant I mean, salary doubled to go from to Michigan State. So. I know. You go from, you know, a coordinator or a defensive line, I can't remember what it was at Georgia, to Colorado. That's a big step up. Big step up from Colorado to Michigan State. Uh, so, I, I can't blame him. But if you're also a recruit, you might be looking at it and going, eh. What if what if this other job comes open? Are you going to jump some jump ship again or what? Yeah, but if he jumps ship at this point, it's LS, like you're probably not leaving that one. It's LSU and USC. I guess like Alabama opens up or something. But <laughs> never know. Yeah. Already one final question that's going to take us into game predictions. It's from NJ2K who said, "Question: With all due respect, Shotgun picked USC to beat Notre Dame on the road. Is he sticking with that prediction? Shotty, take it away." I think Ryan knows this answer. Yes, because he sent it to me earlier today. Oh. Yes, I'm sticking with my answer. I'm not wow. very confident in it. But, hey, when you pick an upset before the season, you kind of stick with it. So, yeah. I mean, I nailed UCLA and LSU, so I'm hoping I'm right on this one. Um, just for my sake. I don't, I don't care who wins or loses. I hope it's a great game. That, that'd that be great. That's the thing that's kind of been missing in this rivalry recently. Mm. Yeah. It's some really last good year games. was pretty good, I guess. Two or, years or two ago. Years ago. But Dory Hattrick was fun it was fun but it wasn't a great game sure yeah you know, there's been a lot of you know 14 to blowouts um last year i mean two years ago it was a three-point game but again there like if usc had the ball back at the end oh well, there's the excitement and stuff yeah. but you know notre dame was able to salt that one away because usc couldn't get off but the field like 10 10 minute drive or something it's crazy uh, in the fourth <laughs> quarter so usc gets it and they get it down and score but there's like 30 seconds left when they made it a three-point game um but, yeah, th this is what needs to happen for USC to win. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give that. I like that. They've got to score early and finish those drives. They need to have some production in the second and third quarters. doesn't have to be a ton, but they need to have more than what they've had. You know, that whole dominate the eight, if they could do something, just don't get dominated themselves, I think you're looking at a completely different game. Um, and, you know, if they stop the run, then I think that they have a, a good chance at slowing down that, that Notre Dame offense. I think their offense will move the ball. It's again, it's just finishing drives. 
They moved the ball really well against Notre Dame. They made some adjustments at halftime uh, last year, but they were down 17-3 at halftime. The second half, they scored every single time. And you think back to that game, they had a play in the first half where Keaton Slowis threw it a little short. Tom Monroe St. Brown right in front of the goal line would have walked in for a touchdown. So those type of plays they need to capitalize on. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, as, as the caller mentioned, uh, <clears throat> I, the prediction I put, I think it was 42-27 or something, Notre Dame. I'll stick with that. It's sort of the same formula that we've seen from USC in their home games where you sort of just kind of things go awry. You don't do well in the second and third quarter. What was the third quarter? 42-3 to three or something. USC's been outscored yeah, in the third those, quarter. In those three home games. Yeah. like that. I mean, I just feel like you're going to get a little bit more of that. Would not be shocked if what we see from Shotgun, they actually put it together. I predicted them to cover against Utah. A lot of us did. That didn't happen. Um, yeah, I feel. Oh, I did. That, never yeah, mind. You, yeah, I don't know why I'm bragging. No, you, you, that's the one you got wrong. <laughs> yeah, the one. The, the, you're bragging the one time you got I know, it wrong. I know. Um, like you sort of feel like that, and I, I just feel like Brian Kelly. They had the bye week. They're better coaching staff. They're going to do better things with their team than an interim head coach, and people sort of scrambling for their own, you know, figuring out what their own jobs are and stuff. So, I just the gut feeling I get is, you know, USC is going to go out and they're going to try, but it's just. To have your head coach get fired game two, you really need to have things buttoned up. And uh, the problem is it wasn't when he was there, and I think it's got even a little worse since he's been gone. So it's they're in desperate need for a complete remake, rehaul, and I just don't think they're going to get it right on the road this weekend. Big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. So let's see if someone steps up and is ready. Is there a Drake Jackson strip sack? You know, Do you have a play like that? that can be a momentum changer, especially a defensive score of some sort or special team score. Those are momentum changers. Those are you know game changers. USC hasn't really had uh, a lot of that this season or last season or the season before. You have Talano Hufunga making big plays, and you've had Drake Jackson a couple times making big plays. Is, does Drake step up? One of the Drake step up? Is there someone else that steps up and makes a big-time play? And, you know, the other guys, you know, all your complimentary pieces – can they do their job? That's been a big issue for USC is everyone not doing their job. Can you catch the ball when the ball's thrown to you or are you going to drop it on third down and you have, to, you have to punt? Yeah. So several thoughts from me. One, I'm a very vivid dreamer and I swear last night I dreamt that I was covering the game and the USC was blowing out Notre Dame and I thought, oh, Shotgun was right. In my dream, I was already doing that. So <laughs> wow. I don't know. Maybe it was a premonition. We don't know. We'll see. Um, but I'm very big into tr like patterns you know that's partially why i thought usc was going to be able to beat utah because utah usually comes to usc and loses or has in the last 105 years except for this year i just i've seen better usc teams go to south bend and just get completely just shell-shocked when something happens when they get smacked in the mouth a little bit and this is a team in particular this season we've seen uh not be able to regroup at home, let alone in a cold tough environment like south bend so in that sense i think i'm going to say that notre dame's going to win but it would be the most USC thing ever to complete the, the undefeated away streak with Notre Dame and keep that rolling. So we'll see. But I think I'm going to go with the Notre Dame win. But when's the last time we saw USC really surprise us? Like, oh, I don't know if they're going to play good this weekend. And it's just like, wow, that's surprising that they played like that. Well, maybe the Washington State game when, like, Dart comes in. Like, it's kind of surprising that they – I mean, they scored all those points in the going third quarter. Going into a game. Going into it. Yeah, it really hasn't happened. I mean, Washington yeah. State, you still feel like they'll put up a bunch of points because we saw what they did to Washington State last year. Yeah. So 
that's been missing. And Washington State had already lost to whatever, like some terrible team. So, and that's been missing. So that would be. I mean, it'd be fun if USC could actually do that. And again, a close game, tight game would be really fun in that atmosphere because Keely and I really haven't had that in our, <laughs> our years covering this game. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so that'd be fun. Uh, but. You know, you look at it, and Ryan pointed at a great point, um, which he stole from my <laughs> the picks that I sent him earlier, <laughs> was that they both have a bye week. And um, Brian Kelly and the Notre Dame staff have gone through this over and over and over. Yeah. Dante Williams is doing this for the first time. So I think they'll be more prepared with that extra week than you know the USC staff will be just you know knowing exactly what to do with that. Obviously, they've all been through this before as assistants, but when you're the head coach, it's a little bit different in preparing, uh, preparing for an opponent and everything. So I, I think that Notre Dame has an advantage there, but it just takes one player making one really big play to to turn the momentum. And I, I think if USC does that, they can can build on it. I think that's what they they've been missing in some of these losses is that yeah. big time play that gets everyone rallied around it. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, several thoughts. One. Uh, we all three are going to South Bend, so we'll be back for Sunday for the live show. So that should be a good one since we'll all have game observations to talk about. Second, before we sign off, just want to congratulate Shotgun Spratling for his professionalism watching the Braves lose during this game. And didn't say anything about it. <laughs> Proud of you, Shotgun. Proud of you. You were good. Like I was like doing a radio thing, and he's like, oh, th- throw a strike. And I was like, wait, what? I was like getting a little Because confused. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's an Atlanta sports fan. You know if you're up, that just means you're going to lose in a more hard <laughs> Breaking fashion. It's but a good job. Would they be worth the twenty-eight-three, like three-one for the second year in a row? Yeah. When you had your ace on the mound against a bullpen game, I mean, this is what you go. Okay, they they took the lead. It's like, all right, here it goes. Yeah. Now the Dodgers have Scherzer and have Bueller coming in back. So yeah, I know what's going to happen. They, just, they had the crap out of Bueller though already. So. At least your teams make it to the playoffs. Um, one last thing, uh, Keely, you mentioned that yes. that Notre Dame's. You know, USC struggled going to Notre Dame. The one thing I think that will help this USC team is their office line is playing better. You know, remember Sam Darnold going there and just being under attack all, you know, especially early in that game and it turned into a blowout really quickly. I think the offensive line is playing better. If they can run the ball, take a little pressure off Keaton Slovis, not say, hey, we're down 14 points and suddenly we have to throw every single time like they've done, it seems like, the, these last couple home games, I think they have a better opportunity there than what they've had in the last couple times they've, they've traveled to South Bend. And a few quick notes. I pointed this out earlier in the week, but if you guys – not on Tunnel Vision. So USC hasn't won a Notre Dame since 2011. been 10 years. It's been a while. Five trips. This will be the fifth trip to Notre Dame. Of the last five, three of them USC sent an interim head coach. So five trips to Notre Dame – Three times an interim head coach. That's not a recipe for a lot of success if you're going to keep doing that. So uh, that's not a good thing, too. And Notre Dame is a favorite in this one, like we said, about a touchdown favorite. They haven't been favored in their last three games. This is the first time USC hasn't been favored all year. So uh, no, Notre Dame wasn't favored in three of those games, and they, they won two of them. Only losing to Cincinnati. So, and USC was favored in those home games and didn't and got yeah. blown out. Yeah, it was, USC was a 17-point favorite and got blown out. Like, that's – yeah, so those those things have happened as well. Uh, someone uh, someone asked, did, did someone get Keontae Ingram a, a, a puffy jacket to, to take a, a with parka. him? A parka. That was so funny. <laughs> that was pretty funny, yeah. Yeah, Chris Trevino and Chris Lago told him what the uh, temperature is going to be, and he was like, what? <laughs> so the Texas boy is not very used to the cold weather. Neither am I. I'm going to freeze. Yeah, but, someone asked if we're wearing parkas and stuff. Yes, and it's like, yeah. I'm going to look like a little – well, we did the uh, Seattle game a couple years ago, right? And it was snowing and stuff. Is that? 
That was the last one she missed. Yeah, that's the last oh, one. Oh, was it missed. Seattle? What was it? There was one where I threw snowballs at you. Which that's Colorado. Colorado. That was Colorado. Okay. Yeah. That was <laughs> Keely's first snow since a small child. Yes, it was. That's it was funny, fun. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, you mentioned he's being from Texas. A lot of Texas players on this team. Mm-hmm. I mean, California kids, maybe they get a little bit more uh, used to it just because you have that ocean breeze in Santa Ana. It does get a little chilly at night or something. I don't know, but uh, we'll see how some of those Texas kids uh, are handle the, the the cold as well. So but I'll Texas be gets up, cold, though. right? I thought. Well, I'm not. We need not a like Texas this. weather expert to call no. in. You're like if you're a Southern California beach kid or whatever, you can drive up to the mountains and you know True. you can go to Mammoth and ski and stuff. So a lot of those kids probably have seen snow more than Texas kids. But okay, fair, 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 fair. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up. Like I said, we'll be back from South Bend on Sunday, so make sure you tune into the live show. But that's Ryan, that's Shaka, and I'm Keely. We'll see y'all on Sunday. Bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.